0: Hi guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Thank you for being here. It means the world to me. I have no doubt that there are a million things you could be doing right now with your time, and instead, you chose to be here. So thank you. I hope that every time you listen, you feel seen. I hope that every time you listen, you feel more courageous to follow your gut, to listen to yourself, to trust yourself. And something that I've noticed lately for me and for some of my close friends is there are times where there's just something that for some reason lights your heart up and makes you just feel that like butterfly feeling in your stomach. And Danielle Laporte is somebody who, she talks about this a lot, like, how do you want to feel? And my friend Heidi will say, what do you desire to create? And I love those two questions. How do you want to feel and what do you desire to create? I think so often we get in our own way because we're thinking that there is a quote unquote right way or we're thinking that something has to be a certain kind of ready before it's born. And I think that there are times where you just feel excited about creating something and you don't know exactly what it's going to look like. You don't know exactly how it's going to be or how it's going to play out. But you just know that when you think about, for instance, let's say you're you're a visual artist and somebody says, so what feels most exciting? Do you want to teach painting? And you close your eyes and you think about that for a second and you're like, hmm, I don't know. And then maybe somebody says, what is it bringing women together who are healing through trauma and giving them paintbrushes and using visual art as a vehicle? And for some reason, you don't know why, but for you, that's the thing. It just starts to feel alive inside of your belly, inside of your heart. And you just go with that. Allow yourself to feel the feelings of what you desire. And our feelings, they know the way. So I want to just continue to Remind you that you have so much wisdom and you don't need other people to get it and you don't need other people to agree and you don't need to ask other people their opinion. You can just keep saying, What do I desire to create? How do I want to show up in the world? What do I want to express? What makes me feel the most excited? How do I want to serve others? And remember, you don't have to solve the biggest problems. You don't have to end hunger. You don't have to cure cancer. You can create things that you think are going to be the answers to people's desires. They can just also be things that make your heart sing that you think would light other people up as well. So the last thing I want to say on this note is when you feel like shutting down, see if you can stay open instead. There's been so many times when I just feel things get hopeless and I just want to shut down, whether it's In my marriage or in my career, there's moments when I feel like I've walked so far and I've climbed so far and that place I'm trying to arrive at, it just seems like it's further and further away. But I just want to say what's really amazing is in moments when we feel like shutting down, if we can just stay open and trust that what we are longing for, it is possible and that we get to create it however we want. I know that that's not easy, but I have seen it so many times in my life that as I just continue to walk forward, sure enough, there is a clearing that I didn't even know was right there. So keep going and ask yourself as often as you can, what do you truly desire? What do you want to create? What do you want to express? And then ask your source, God, your creator, the universe, your highest self, What? would she have you do right now? What would she have you say? What can you do right now? And breathe in everything that you really desire. Let it just come in, just breathe it in, just see it happening. Just feel all the things that you really want to create and exhale all the BS. Exhale everything that you don't need to carry around anymore. You've done it long enough and it's your turn now to live according to your heart's desires. I am doing a masterclass next Wednesday at noon Pacific Standard Time, June 5th. And it's going to be the three essential steps to help you build your business. Like, how do you really do this? And I wanna spend an hour with you guys really talking through this and giving you some concrete steps to take and some ideas that you can really put into practice. So come join me. You can find the link in the show notes. You can find the link on the DontKeepYourData.com website. Sign up if you can't be there live just by signing up. We will send you the replay and I think it'll be really worthwhile. Also, I just cannot wait until next week. I will be opening the doors to a full three-month program. I keep telling you that there's something coming. There's something coming. And many of you have gotten on the wait list for the inner circle and. I thought the inner circle was going to be this once a month discussion group. And the more I just kept thinking about what I really desire to create, it's like, I realize I just want to go deep. I want to give so much and I wanted to do more than show up once a month. And so I've been behind the scenes creating this entire program and stay tuned. Next week, you'll be hearing more about this program that's going to be available. And I will be coaching you and helping you really understand How valuable you are, and how what you dream of doing is possible, and we can figure out a way for you to make it real. And how do we do that in a way that feels really good? Because I think that one of the things that's consistent for all of us is that we have a value of being a really good person. And for some reason, whenever we feel that two values that we hold are in conflict, we get stuck. And so I think that for some of us, sometimes, We want so much to be a really good person and we start thinking about selling something and all of a sudden we feel like, wait, am I going to be a good person if I start to ask people for money. Am I going to be a good person? What what is that doing? How is that affecting me? And we need to understand how do we create what my friend told me. She said, Kathy, what you've created is an empathy empire. And how do we do that? How do we build a business through giving? How do we build a business through really showing up and offering value? And that's part of what I'll be teaching in this three-month program that I'll be rolling out next week. Okay. So today we have another great episode. Jason Pfeiffer is on the show. He is the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. He's a a writer, a podcaster, a speaker. And in a way, he's very much an entrepreneur himself. He hosts two podcasts. One is called Pessimist Archive. It's a history show about why people resist new things. And the other one that I think you'll really love is called Problem Solvers, which is all about how entrepreneurs solve unexpected problems in their business. He's been an editor at a ton of well-known publications like Fast Company, Men's Health, and he's written for ESPN, Slate, GQ, New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, and many more. So he shares a few juicy insights on the best strategies to pitch your work, not just as a writer or blogger, but any kind of outreach. And we get into how you can overcome a few key struggles that pretty much all entrepreneurs face at some point in their journey. I won't keep you guys waiting, so without further ado, please welcome the awesome Jason Pfeiffer. Jason, I'm so happy that you're here. Thanks for
1: joining me. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: It's such a cool thing to have you. So I just want you to tell everybody a little bit about how you came to be the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, what that looks like in your journey that got you to be sitting where you are. Sure.
1: Sure. So my background is in media. It's not in entrepreneurship. I started as a community newspaper reporter and my very, very first job was at this place called the Gardner News, 6,000 circulation daily newspaper in North Central Massachusetts. And I despised it. It was just, it was like writing about nothing for nobody. And so after a year, I quit because I had this idea, I had this idea that nobody was ever going to come to me with the thing that I wanted. So I realized I needed to quit that job and I needed to sit in my bedroom and I needed to spend my time, my precious time, not writing for this little newspaper, but instead just pitching cold into the darkness and trying to get people at larger publications to pay attention to me and prove to them that I could work with them. And so after nine months of that, I got some hits. I got in the Washington Post and the Boston Globe, Associated Press, and a number of other places. And wow. And and I just built from there. I, and I repeated that process. I've qu- I've quit other jobs, and I've freelanced full time, and I've just gone and hustled and gotten myself in front of the people that I knew could be useful to me, instead of just focusing on like whatever gig I had because that wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go.
0: So I have so many things that I want to sort of tease out here with you. There's so many people who listen to this show who would love to get their writing into a publication. Just curious Mm -hmm. what tips you have for someone who wants to write or get their work published. Yeah.
1: So, okay, number one, know your audience, like really, really know your audience, Uh, which is to say that whenever you reach out to any publication, you have like a layer, you have layers of audiences that you have to appeal to. You have to appeal to the person that you're reaching out to, the editor uh, that you're going to reach out to. And then they are serving their readers and they're serving their readers through the publications, expectations of what those readers are looking for. And you can learn all that by just really, really studying the publication and, and thinking very critically about what are they running? Why are they running it? Just like ask yourself that and then take it very seriously. I would say that most people, when they kind of cold pitch or sometimes people will like write a piece and send it, which is not that's that's not a really good way to get in. But what they're doing is they're imposing their desire about what we publish upon us instead of trying to serve what we publish. I see it all the time. Mm. I've been sent humor columns at every publication I've ever been. It's the weirdest thing. It's because there are all these people who (laughs) want to write humor columns. Like if you don't see humor columns and don't send humor columns, like you have to know what your audience is and cater specifically directly to it. And I would suggest you start small. You just heard my story where like I quit this local newspaper and I, I was mostly writing for tiny little newspapers and little magazines. And I was building up a base of clips and knowledge and how to. And that was what ultimately elevated me to where I wasn't just writing once for the Washington Post, but I was able to write regularly for the Washington Post because I was building my skill sets. So it's great to shoot high, but don't be afraid to shoot low either, because it's fine just to get the experience. And I will tell you, if you're like a new writer, there is nothing more valuable than writing something, having it published anywhere and then reading your writing once it is set in print or web or whatever like once it is not yours anymore Mm -hmm. you can't change it you start to see all the flaws that is where you learn and you can do that at tiny little publications as much as you can do it with large publications so just get out there and do it
0: so instead of reaching out with like a piece you're saying people do it all the time like here's what i already wrote for you what would you suggest that people reach out with
1: Reach out with a pitch. So what you want to do is you want to prove in a couple paragraphs that mm-hmm. your idea is like a fit for what the publication is doing, yep. and two, that you're the mm-hmm. person to do it. And You do it because the pitch is really well written, and it matches the, mm. s- the tone and style of the magazine. Right. And it also right. contains enough reporting and insight that I know that you can handle this story. Remember that anytime that you reach out to somebody, everything that you do and say is making an argument for or against you. So make sure that you are making the argument for you.
0: Yep. Awesome. Really, really helpful, you guys. That is gold. You just heard it from the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, who's also done this and so many other roles. So helpful. Okay. So having now been where you are for so long in your own path and also being at this magazine where you're constantly putting this under a microscope, what does it mean to you to be an effective entrepreneur?
1: Yeah. So to me, the most important thing that you can do is embrace and use change, is to see that everything around you and everything that you do has to change. You as a leader have to change regularly. The ideas that you have have to change. The thing that you built has to change. That the world is going to be constantly changing. And you have at all times really two options, but one of them sucks. Uh, option number one is uh, resist the change. And try to just continue Mm -hmm. to bolster the thing that you already know how to do or that used to work or whatever. So that's option number one. And then option number two is to, to just learn from what's not working, use failure as data and then change for the better. And those are the two options like every time. And to me, there's only one good option, which is to make the change.
0: So what's a great example of
1: that? So dogfish is this great brewery. It's in Delaware. And in the early days of dogfish, They made this beer called 60 Minute IPA. It's a 6% alcohol by volume beer. And it it blew up. You had just everybody calling up Dogfish, uh, the retailers and the bars and whoever, they all wanted 60 Minute IPA. And Sam, who is the founder of Dogfish, he projected out that 60 Minute IPA was going to become 80% of all sales of Dogfish. Now, you might say, great. You got a hit product, cash it in, fantastic. But here's the thing. Sam understood something. And what he understood was that beer tastes change. And that if he allowed his brewery to be defined by one style of beer, then he would become an IPA brand. And then the second that change happens, the second that people stop drinking IPA in the same quantities that they did then, he would be outdated. And so he did this thing, which was he capped sales of 60-minute IPA at 50% of all sales of dogfish. And that meant that everybody was angry at him. Retailers were calling and they were furious. And instead, what he did was saying, hey, listen, we have other great beers. I'd lo- I wish I could sell you 60-minute IPA. Don't have it right now. We're out. I would love for you to try the Saison. And this is how now IPAs are not nearly as popular as they used to be. And dogfish is right. one of the largest breweries in America, and it's thought of as an innovator, not of as an Amazing. IPA brand and that's not just embracing wow. change, that's anticipating change and building it into how you function.
0: yeah, another great example of this to back up your point. the most epic one was Howard Schultz, who we had on, and he talked about how he came, he came back from Milan and he was working at this tiny little coffee company called Starbucks. They had three stores and all they did was make coffee beans and coffee grinds. that's it and he came, he comes back and he says, we should get in the restaurant business and actually open up a place where we can ma- make the coffee and sell it, like sell frappuccinos and cappuccino and all these things. It'll be amazing. And they were like, no one's going to be into that. We're not doing mm. that. And then he begged them. He said, could I just have a small piece of the warehouse to open this little shop and sort of prove the concept. And they were like, fine. So he did and it took off and people loved it. And still they said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing it. And obviously we know what happened is he wound up buying it, taking it over and yeah, it's obviously worked. So being able to embrace change. You know what that
1: story reminds me of is this thing that Malcolm Gladwell once told me. I was interviewing him for the magazine and I asked him, I was like, how Malcolm, do you decide what is a Malcolm Gladwell project? And what is the filter? And he said he never, never thinks like that. He never thinks of what specifically makes a Malcolm Gladwell project, even though, I mean, let's be honest, there is a there is a quality of a project of his. Right. But but he he intentionally does not define it. He said self-conceptions are powerfully limiting. And this is the reason I thought of it it was Starbucks story. Right. Because this was the Starbucks at the time had a self-conception. We're a coffee shop. We That's all we do. Right, And if you think of yourself as one particular thing and you've hardened that, if you have a self-conception, a very, very specific self-conception, then you will limit Mm -hmm. all the other opportunities available to you. You won't even see them. You won't even consider them. So true. And so So he tries to the best that he can to not have that self-conception, to be anything.
0: Mm -hmm. That is so true that we will limit ourselves farther than we ever know the effects of if we... Hold on so tight to who we think we are. And then there's so much more going on. So let's talk about, you do have two podcasts. Um, and one of them is called pessimist archive. And those of you who love history, it's so cool. All these examples of showing resistance, how people resist change in, in history. And it's just so fascinating. Your show problem solvers is all about how entrepreneurs solve unexpected problems in their business. And I love this so much. So tell us. What are the things that got you to say, like, that's it? If I'm going to do a podcast, I'm the editor of Entrepreneur Magazine, I'm calling it this. Like, why is that resonating so true for you, problem solving?
1: So when I took over this magazine, I had a challenge. And that challenge was to update the magazine. So, uh, you know, you you walk in, you want to say, okay, well, what's, what's missing? Where How has the world changed? And, and how does this brand need to adapt to it? And so... I started talking to people and came up with this thesis. So the old version of the magazine was very service oriented, like help and how to content. And I was thinking, you know, I just don't think that that's the model now. I don't think that that's why people pick up a print magazine. So what is it? What are we? What is the reason for for being? Our raison d'être? What is it? <laughs> and so I came to this realization, which is that. The word entrepreneur has come to mean so many things to so many people. So what is it that binds all these people together? And the answer I came up with is the experience of entrepreneurship. Because the experience of entrepreneurship, of feeling lonely and crazy and problem-solving your way through walls, that is a thing that everybody shares who identifies with the word entrepreneur. And that means that the core thing that they are always wrestling with and looking for inspiration on is how to solve problems because that's the main purpose of what they do. And it is also the main challenge. And so I reoriented it. I got rid of basically almost all the service. And instead, I brought in all these narratives that were all in some way or another oriented around understanding how people solved problems and very, very purposely and not how like I saw that there weren't cheap razors out there. And so I created a company that sells cheap razors. Like, I don't think that's interesting to other people. Instead, what I want is like you were growing this company and then you ran into a gigantic oh crap moment and it nearly destroyed your business and you had to figure out how to, how to fix it. And so once I had reoriented the mag around that, I started thinking, okay, well, what other ways can we take this core insight and bring it to people? And we wanted to start some podcasts here and I love making podcasts. And so I thought, okay, I will start a podcast and that thing will be at its core, problem solving. And my hope is that by listening to how people solve problems, you calibrate your own way of thinking to how to solve problems.
0: Yep. And that makes sense. And there are people listening right now who've heard this and they understand exactly what we mean by this. But some people who are listening might be bakers and some people are dancers and some people are songwriters and some people want to open a yoga store and they're thinking, I don't know how I'm supposed to solve a problem with my croissant." I don't understand what that means. How am I supposed to solve a problem with the pottery that I'm creating? How do you help people understand this who might not get that what they do solves a problem in any way? A florist might think, what do you mean solve a problem? I make floral design. I don't cure cancer. How can you help us understand that?
1: Yeah. I mean, let's say that you are a florist and you're a successful florist. You're attracting customers and you're bringing something to your community. You were solving a problem. Which is to say that there wasn't a florist like you in the community and now there is and you're delivering something to people that they wanted. And that's wonderful. Now, are there other ways that you can solve problems? I bet that there are. It's all about listening to people. Listen to your customers. Listen to why they like you. Listen to why they don't like you. Talk to people who don't use you and find out why not. And what you'll start to discover is that there are all sorts of things out there, opportunities that you didn't even see were opportunities, and you can start to serve them. Like, How does somebody take a tiny little flower shop and turn it into a giant company like Edible Arrangements? They do it by understanding what's missing in their consumers' lives, that they're looking for a particular kind of gift or a way to express themselves or or that there's a kind of event for which there is no thing to bring whatever the case is you don't have to be solving cancer I, I i mean like somebody should cure cancer but um there are other problems to solve and other abilities to solve them and um and other passions and so i think what you need to do is identify what it is that you want to bring into the world and if you're a florist that you love working with flowers and you love making people happy and creating special events and moments for for their lives and i bet that if you start to talk to people and identify the holes in their lives and the the things that they are looking for, there are other problems for you to solve.
0: I think that's absolutely true. And I love that you keep saying like, be on this mission of like talking to people, getting that feedback. And I think this is where people don't necessarily understand that it's a dialogue. It's a conversation. Like you're making something for somebody else, right? The difference between a hobby and a business is if it's a business, there's somebody else who's paying you for that thing. And so you're saying, have that ongoing conversation that weaving the feedback into your process should be part and parcel of what you're doing. And I think what then happens especially, I hear this a lot from creatives is, well, how can I be authentic? And how can I make the things that I'm really supposed to make if I'm listening to what other people need so much?
1: I, I got to say, I don't, I just <laughs> don't, I don't get that. You know, if you're going to participate in a marketplace, then be part of the marketplace. You know, I used to, I, I've evolved as a writer. Uh, I, I used to, I used to do things that were f- a little more uh, experimental and that I just scratched this kind of craft itch of mine. I am a writer and like, you know, it's like craft. So then I started, then I got into another thing, which was like, I'm going to serve the mission of the magazines that I work for. And that's fine and that's good. But this experience that I have right now, which is that I'm I'm writing for these entrepreneurs and I've, I've dropped basically all pretense of um, this is the thing that I'm looking to create. And instead I started listening to people and I started engaging with them nonstop on social media. If you DM me basically on any platform, I will respond to you. Like it's nonstop. And I start to hear what it is that they're looking for and what it is that they're reacting to. And then I pour that right back into my work, particularly my column in the magazine, but also things I do on the podcast. And it creates this unbelievable feedback loop where people love it, it resonates with them and they get in touch with me more and they tell me more of what they're looking for. And then I deliver more of that to them. And I have found that to be the most satisfying thing that I've done in my career. Far more satisfying than just doing a thing because I kind of like to do it and it seemed fun and creative. And you do you, like do whatever it is that you want to do. But if you want to participate in a marketplace and you want to really grow inside of that marketplace, then listen to people and find out what it is that you have that they're looking for. What can you deliver to them? Because I really do believe that I, though I am listening to people and they're telling me the same stuff that they're probably telling other people that they're looking for. I have developed some voice, some perspective and my take on what they're looking for is particularly valuable. And that's because I'm bringing me to them. And that's a, that's a marriage I'm really excited about.
0: Yeah, and I love that. And I it makes sense to me why you said then that was more exciting and fulfilling because I think that what I've learned in my journey is that we're not seeking happiness, we think we are, but I think what we're really seeking is purpose. And we want this feeling of contribution and meaning. And so when it's not just about you just waxing poetic, like off in your own little cocoon, but when there's like a, a transaction, there's an exchange, like you're creating something and someone else says, oh, that's exactly what I needed, thank you, that works for me or that helps me in some way. Way, that feels so meaningful yeah. and it and it hits us in a different way and i think we all forget that we're really craving that and it's incredible how you can then find that your work turns into something greater than what it is because it's there then to fulfill something for someone else and i love that you're saying that so with your podcast you've spoken to so many incredible people including as you mentioned before Malcolm Gladwell you've also spoken to Seth Godin who i mentioned what is the common thing that you feel you've learned from your guests beyond problem solving? Cause we've already obviously hit on that. What else has come up for you? That's been a theme that you've learned from doing this show from these incredible people you've interviewed.
1: Rethinking, which is a, I guess it's a subset of change, but I, I see these entrepreneurs constantly rethink the purpose of something and the reason that they're doing it, the way that they function, um, they start to d- redefine things in certain ways. I'll give you an example of how it's kind of worked in my world. So you know, it's no secret that the world of media is uh, troubled, <laughs> economically speaking. Mm-hmm. And right. so the thing, like one of the no- you know one of the top things that anybody in my industry is constantly thinking about is well, how do we make this economic model work? What else do we do? And and I came to this. Shocking realization, which is this. We make content and then we monetize the content. We sell ads against the content or we we sell subscriptions to the content. And I realized, you know what? We actually have to stop trying to make that work Instead, we have to start thinking about the content as something else. Like, If we make the content and people like the content, but the content doesn't make us money anymore because advertising money is going away and subscriptions are going down, then what is it? What is it? What are we doing? This is what an entrepreneur would ask. They would look at this thing and they'd be like, okay, well, here are your assets. What are they? What are you going to do? And I realized content is a relationship. That's what content is. When you put out content, people love you because they trust you. And so now you need to figure out how to monetize that trust in a different way. They're not going to pay, advertisers not pay to be against the content, but maybe people will buy something else from you because they trust you because of the content. And so now, like here at Entrepreneur, we're thinking about all these other things. Can we create consulting services? We're creating a membership-based organization, like a monthly membership group called Entrepreneur Insider. And there are all these other things that we're doing because we're trying to Appeal to people uh, based on the trust that they have in us because of the content that we create, but we stop thinking about the content as the thing that's going to make us money forever and ever because it's not. Instead, it's going to build trust and relationships forever and ever, and then we have to find another mm. way to make the money. And like that is a that's a transformational way to think, which is to say, yeah. look at something and be able to separate what it is from what it does. And maybe what it is, is still great, but what it does is something different.
0: It makes a lot of sense to me. I've seen it written where people will write like hustle and they'll put a line through it and then they'll write the word alignment. And I think (laughs) that it's not only that you have to just keep kicking down the door, like sometimes you have to switch to a different door. I think that what this comes down to is having the humility to tweak and change and move just like Everyone ultimately actually craves that it should like what happens to water that stays stagnant? It's like poison, but water that's always moving is healthy. You can bathe in it. You can drink from it You can do so much with it and it, it gives life. I love that. You just keep coming back to that We have to be willing to bend.
1: Yeah, we have to change That's huge. That's it I have a few more things.
0: Yeah. You wrote an article that we have to talk about. Sure. But the article was, every entrepreneur has imposter syndrome, and here's why we need to talk about it. Mm. Why do we have to talk about that, and how can we overcome that and get to work?
1: Right, that was a column that I wrote in uh, my editor's letter in, in the magazine, and mm-hmm. so I'm sitting down with the CEO of IAC. IAC is this gigantic internet company. You know all they the created, brands. Created like
0: Match.com, Tinder, correct, right? like correct. Vimeo, Vimeo,
1: The Daily Beast, College Humor. It, it owns everything. So I'm talking to the CEO of IAC. We're having lunch, and I was telling him about how I. Had I had really not been in the kind of leadership position that I am in right now before. So I like managing the number of people that I'm managing and dealing with all the stuff. I said to him, I was basically just figuring it out as I go, like just guessing at what's right and learning. And he said, that's everybody, you know, like he does that too. That's everybody. And I thought that was such a powerful thing to say, because when you get into a position of leadership, you can hide behind your role. And say, I know how to do this. I know how to do all this. Like the evidence that I know how to do all this is that I'm in this role. And so stop questioning me. And that's fine. You could do that, but I don't think that that's useful. I don't think it's useful for you. And it's definitely not useful for everyone else. Instead, what's most useful for everyone else is to acknowledge that even though you are in a position of power and leadership and that you have reached a lot of success in your career, that you too, are just figuring it out, that there isn't some magic mm-hmm. moment in which everything crystallizes or there's not some That's magic right. person who is born and goes out into the world knowing exactly what to do, that everybody is right. figuring it out. <laughs> right. And if you if you can just imagine that, if you can just see the world around you as people who are all just figuring it out, even though yeah. they may look like they have it all figured out, then mm-hmm. it's a lot less scary when you look at yourself and you're trying to figure it out you just realize that everyone's doing the same thing.
0: Yeah. And you just have to dance with the fear and just have the courage to walk along with it. Um, and one more thing that you wrote that I just, I loved it. The The column you wrote is this trick will help you promote yourself without coming off as self-centered. And I loved <laughs> yeah. it because you actually talked about starting this podcast, which I related to, uh-huh. right? Because your example was you had emailed your friends with the subject line in case you're not sick of my voice. Right. like, <laughs> And yet, you don't need to do that, right? Like people love you and your, your content is great. And so I want you to talk about this just for a second. So how can we promote ourselves without coming across as self-centered? I think that that a lot of good people struggle with that.
1: Yeah. So I had this realization. I was looking at all these entrepreneurs and the way that they talk, particularly Tim Ferriss, actually, who I've, I've gotten to know like a little bit. And the very first couple of times that I interacted with Tim, I was like, I cannot believe how self promotional this guy is. Like <laughs> everything that comes out of his mouth is promoting one of his things. Like, and w- there was one time where I had him write something for the magazine and it was like, can you offer three points about something? I can't remember what it was, but anyway, then each one yeah. of those points included some reference to one of the episodes in his podcast that he wanted people to listen to. And I was like, this awesome. is so, awesome. this is relentless. It's relentless. Right. And, um, <laughs> at first it drove me crazy, but then. I've become a big fan. You're of, like,
0: wait a minute. Right. Because guess what? <laughs> T- guess what? Tim
1: Ferriss is really popular. Like people really like yeah. him. Like what are the facts on the ground? Yeah. The facts on the ground are that Tim Ferriss is relentlessly self promotional and people like him. Those are two facts. They're facts. Okay. So, so like, don't try to discard them and be like, yeah, but he's self-promotion. So, but no, but it works. So, okay. Why does it work? That's the only question at this point. So I was looking at what he does and I was looking what other people do. And it, and it, it just occurred to me the answer is that. They're framing their self-promotion as value for others, and they're genuinely delivering on it, right? I mean, like Tim doesn't just say, listen to this episode. He says, here's this thing that you really need to understand. It's going to be really valuable to you. And if you want to learn more, I've got it in this episode. It's value to you. And that means that if you want to be able to accomplish that, it starts deep inside you where you are so confident and you have so much belief in the value of the thing that you're producing, yes, that you're able yes. to deliver it as value. And if you can do that, you can be self-promotional and people will like you. Yep. Even when you get to that place where you're like, okay, the thing that I have provides value, then you have to get over the discomfort of being that person who's like constantly sharing their stuff. And, yeah. and, and you know what's going to happen? I'll tell you, at least here's what happens with me. One, there will be people like friends and colleagues who will who will like lovingly mock you about it. <laughs> so you own it. But it's fine because the rest of the world is actually just super into it. And those people, there is like a limited number of the, the people before who like saw the change that maybe you're uncomfortable. Yes. But then there's an entire expanding, never ending world of new people who will discover you for the first time and they'll only know you as this confident person who is providing relentless value yes. and that is fine that's great yeah
0: i agree with you and i know those two pieces of the pie cuz it's so much easier for me to post something on instagram than for my personal facebook friends i'm always like oh god I'm oh i don't
1: so i don't post on facebook s- slunk in yeah, i don't post yeah, on yeah, facebook yeah, because it's just, all my friends right, like i hardly ever do
0: and it, i always feel so proud of anyone who's putting themselves out there, even when I don't necessarily like their product or agree with them, because I understand how vulnerable it is to do that. And there will never be somebody who's accomplished more than you, who's trolling you, who's making fun of it. That's true. It'll be the people sort of like underneath trying to like bring you back down to reality, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Like, anyone who's accomplished a lot, who's where you are or further than where you are in whatever paradigm you want to use for success, they will look at that and say, I totally get what this person is doing. It is so difficult to do that. That takes so much courage and that person should be applauded for that. They would never try to bring you down. So if there's anyone who's giving you a really hard time, just know that that person has probably not accomplished an ounce of what you have because they wouldn't do that if they had. That's just a plain and simple truth.
1: Man, that's such a good point. And it's completely true. And also, once you start doing it, you get it. You know, I had a I had drinks. So this is uh, name droppy, whatever. So I I had drinks with Gary Vaynerchuk a little while ago. And I was telling him that before I got into this role and before I was doing a version of what what he does, I didn't get it. Like, I didn't understand what he was doing. And it seemed like just kind of nonstop. (sighs) (laughs) But then I was like, Gary, but then I I started like serving and engaging with the same kind of audience that that you Mm. do. And I came to understand if you serve and listen to this audience and then you build in what they say back into the thing that you're providing them and you run that loop a million times, the natural endpoint is Gary Vaynerchuk. The (laughs) the natural endpoint is Gary Vaynerchuk. And so I see it.
0: Yeah. And you know what? I was going to say God bless him because when he started out wearing that sweater vest in front of that little – he was sitting at that card table just like drinking some glasses of wine. If you go back and scroll all the Mm -hmm. way back to his first – not six, but his first like 600 (laughs) videos on YouTube where he was doing wine library, you won't believe what this man put himself through till he finally got to be where he is. And to mention Seth Godin again, just because I love this quote when he was on the show, he said, you have to be willing to have the courage to tell mediocre stories until you can tell brilliant yeah. ones. That is why I look at these people and I'm like, that takes tremendous courage.
1: And that bit about being okay telling mediocre stories is totally true. Like the way, how do you like become this? It's because you, you do all the mediocre stuff enough that you refined it into really good stuff and then you built this library of stuff. You just do it over and over and over again. I, I've started to, I came up with this little thing that I tell myself, which is that I cannot wait to do something the second time. You know, the first time mm. it's just going to suck. It's just going to suck. So like do it, right, right. do it so that you can get to the yep. second time because the second time is awesome so you know like and yep. and i've just thought i thought about I that the that. first time that i went and did a keynote and the first time that i went on live tv and all that stuff oh it's just like God, let's totally get agree. to the second time like i gotta get through the first time so that i can get to the second time the second time yeah. is not actually going to be amazing but it's going to be better than the first time and that's all that matters. yes
0: it is i agree with you i really like talking to you Jason. likewise that's
1: super sweet thank you thank you so much for having me
0: so jason tell us where we can find you
1: Okay, so you can find me in all sorts of places. The really simple answer is jasonfeifer.com, J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com, where there are links to all the stuff, the podcasts, the newsletter, I got a newsletter, and uh, social stuff and whatever. And so I would love for you to be in touch. Seriously, I said earlier that I respond oh, that's to everything. Really nice. And I do. I literally respond to everything. But otherwise, yeah, find me on social at Hey Pfeiffer. Check out the podcasts, Problem Solvers and Pessimist Archive, whatever. Check things out. Let me know what you think of them. I will get back to you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for being here, Jason. It was so fun to talk to you. You guys, he's so generous that he just said that, but you should take him up on it. That's a really nice thing that you did that. Thank you. Thank you. This was so fun. That was so much fun talking to Jason. I highly recommend you go listen to his podcast, Problem Solvers and Pessimist Archive. You can also see his column in Entrepreneur Magazine. And as he said, he loves to hear from you. So don't be shy. You can reach out and let him know how much you enjoyed this conversation. Now onto your wins. So Lance posted in our Facebook group and said, I work in the engineering design field. I have a bachelor's in engineering, but I do not function as an engineer. I love design so much better. I spent 17 years in oil, gas, and mining, and I've not been satisfied. I completely changed industries just over a year ago into architectural window and panel design, and it has been a great change. But tomorrow night, I'm starting on my path to what I really wanna do, which is writing. I outlined a seven book series for young adult readers for the past three years, and it has been killing me to not complete them. Well, I signed up for a writing class at the local community college, then a follow-up class on book writing. I start tomorrow night, so wish me good luck on the first steps to eventually quitting my day job. Lance, I so applaud your bravery, not just because you were vulnerable and shared this with our group, but it takes so much courage to even let yourself step out into this new path and admit what you really want. And to be honest, I don't think you're gonna need so much luck because everything you need is already within you. And it's been the compass that's led you to exactly where you are right now. So I just wish you continued courage in listening to that voice. I'd love to know how your writing class goes and the progress you make on the book series. So please keep us in the loop. Okay, the next win is from Christine. She wrote in the Facebook group, I did it. It's a small step, but it feels really big. I officially launched my business to the world, to my family, to friends, to my professional network via social media. I've been holding on to my new website, afraid no one would get it, afraid it wasn't perfect, afraid I look like a fool, afraid of judgment from those in my field of education. I've been building this up. And from this podcast, from building a new community, I found the courage to make a first step and the freedom to know I don't have to have it all figured out. It will all reveal itself when it's all in motion. Thank you, Kathy. Christine, that's exactly it. You're right that's it. It's going to reveal itself as it unfolds. I'm so proud of you for summoning the courage to let the world know, hey, I made this thing and you did it even in the face of all those fears and some of those negative thoughts. So give yourself some credit for even just making the website because it looks awesome. You guys go give her some love. Her website is brightguide.com. That's B-R-I-T-E guide.com. You guys are the best. I will be giving that free masterclass on the three steps to building your business from day job to dream job. You can join me next Wednesday, June 5th at noon Pacific Standard Time. So go ahead and grab the link. And you should grab the link anyway here and sign up because if you miss it, you can still catch the replay. And I think that if you like this show, you're going to like it because I'm going to show up and I'm going to give you all I got. So um, you can sign up for that in the show notes or you can find the link on the don'tkeepyourday website or in my Instagram bio. If you have a win you want to share with me, you can post it in our awesome Don't Keep Your Day Job Facebook group or you can DM me on Instagram at Kathy.heller. And if you'd like to be a part of one of these retreats that I'm planning, then you can DM me and say, Kath, I want to be in on that. And you can look for um, announcements about that on my Instagram feed. And also stay tuned because next week I will be opening the doors for just a small amount of time to this three month in-depth coaching program where I will be showing you step-by-step how to grow this thing you love from passion project to profit. How do you monetize getting to do this thing that you love full-time? I see you. I get it. And I want the lights to turn on for you. I want to show you where to direct your attention. I have a whole how-to like step-by-step process, I would love to share with you and then coach you through. I will also be bringing experts into this group. So stay tuned for more details on how to join me for that three-month program. It's going to be really transformational and I'm so excited to be sharing that with you. If you haven't already subscribed to our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, please do and leave us a review. I love reading your reviews and it helps us so much. So please go ahead and do that. And if you feel like you know someone who would really benefit from listening to this podcast, then please share this episode or any episode that comes to mind. Thank you for listening. I'll leave you with a song of mine. Have an awesome weekend and I will talk to you on Monday.
2: If dreams are made of paper, let's make paper mache build a world together with our hands and if hope is made of helium we'll be like balloons and float away wouldn't that be grand nothing lasts forever so we're all a little scared but we're not giving up that easy no we wouldn't dare hey hey mr sun don't you set tonight Yeah.